What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Carbide Podcast presented by Woody's Traction. Hopefully it's not a spoiler for any of you, but I'm a snowcross guy. It's by far my favorite discipline. However, I've said time and time again that cross country is by far the gnarliest form of snowmobile racing. I have a tremendous amount of respect for these athletes and love learning about their world, as it's something I've only done a handful of times. Bobby Manny is a name that most snowmobile racers will know. He's done a lot of racing over the years, whether it's cross country, snow cross, the Sioux, even the Iron Dog. And just as you'd hope, we dive into each and every one of them. So I hope you enjoy our discussion. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast, presented by Woody's Traction. Appreciate you guys tuning in, as always. Special guest and special occasion tonight. He's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades on a snowmobile. He's a winner at the Sioux. He's a winner in cross-country. He's the owner at 131 Racing. And he's in studio. He's Bobby Manny. How are we doing, Bobby? Good. How are you? It's, it's glad, I'm glad to be here. You know, it's nice. Yeah, for sure. We uh, chatted a little bit at Heydays, took a look at your uh, grandpa's old moto ski, and you're like, hey, I'm down to do an episode, and then found out you were down the street, so it's going to yeah. be sick. It is. Uh, it's nice. 15-minute drive right here in beautiful Ham Lake, Minnesota. <laughs> at, so. at the uh, the Carbide Global Headquarters here, massive yes. high-rise here in Ham Lake. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking out, you can see uh, downtown Minneapolis from Yeah, here. exactly, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. Your family's got a pretty deep uh, history in snowmobiling. We're going to get into that for sure, but where does kind of the, the many names start in snowmobiling? You know, it goes back a, a real long ways, um, basically back to the 60s. Um, Bill Jeans, uh, he had Jeans, Inc. over in Forest Lake. He was a big motoski distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, but that was before they had like dealers, a yep. dealer yep. network. Mm-hmm. And so everything would get distributed through like one place. And uh, so my grandpa was a, a sales rep for bill and uh he started selling moto skis and stuff like that and they started racing them and they had like a race team Mm -hmm. uh so and then my uncle rick uh my my grandma's brother uh he raced with them too but uh yeah basically uh you know 1966 uh to 73 he was at moto ski Okay. And uh, ran the I-500. Uh, was they, they actually relocated to Montana. Oh, really? Okay. Yep, and he sold motoski out there and stuff like that. Gotcha. So um, tons of stories about West Yellowstone and Two Top and <laughs> all these other crazy races that they used to do back in the day. You know, yep. 200 sleds would start at the, the airport in West Yellowstone there, and they would take off and <laughs> just be chaos. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, he actually went to John Deere. He was a factory John Deere from uh, like 73 to 76. Mm-hmm. Um, and my uncle Rick, he uh, he raced 66 to to 80 on moto ski, and he's the the 1978 B stock world champ at uh, at Eagle River. Okay. So he had some some good success. But yeah, lots of stories. You know, like <laughs> oh yeah, I'm pretty sure at one point they went on a moose hunt or something up in northern Minnesota or Canada and. They were coming back, and they heard that there was this stadium race in Duluth, and so, yeah, they had their snowmobiles with them, and yeah, super, super last minute, super casual. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was funny because they apparently it was so smoky inside there that you could oh yeah, see I bet. or breathe. Oh, 
I don't know. There's just so many <laughs> stories back then, but that's basically when it all started. So gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So did you kind of just, obviously I'm sure you were a snowmobiler as a kid, but you must've just grown up hearing all these stories and all this lore, I would imagine. Yep. Um, you know, my dad, he raced, uh, in the in you know the 80s probably like 85 to to 97 um and he did he did well um probably not as as good as he could have done unfortunately had you know a lot of bad luck uh but you know 91 92 93 he raced for pro 5 mm-hmm. um with steve wool and mark resh and i think mike Hool and some of those guys and um burt bassett and uh, my dad got along real well. And, and then, uh, in 89, um, him and Jeremy file battled basically the whole last day of the I 500 going from Duluth to, uh, to white bear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's actually some really good video that I have a, a DVD of it that CJ Ramstead mm-hmm. filmed. And, um, and I was actually talking to Jeremy file uh, a week or two ago about getting some other video that Jeremy had, but, pretty much the gnarliest cross country race you'll you'll ever watch oh, them two <laughs> literally banging bars in the air at at 80 miles an hour uh, but he ended up breaking down uh like in wyoming i think oh really yeah so mm. 30 miles or whatever from the finish oh, tough break so so yeah but uh no good success there so it's basically just i don't know i can remember back having a, a kitty cat and uh starting there and then just always on something with a motor yeah you know it's just it it hasn't changed (laughs) so old old habits die hard that's for sure right yeah no it's it's funny because i don't know i just don't i don't know life any other way really Mm -hmm. everything's revolved around motors yeah it's weird to explain to people they just haven't been around it or they're like new to it like it just it never actually leaves your mind no matter what you're doing. Like the, I've never said this, but I'm sure it was the same for you growing up. Uh, there's like this comes around on TikTok and stuff every now and again of like people remembering as a kid, like when you're riding in the car and you would like envision oh, some yeah. guy like parkouring in yep. the ditch for us. It was like, no, I was a snowmobiler. That was a dude. Jumping. I was a dude jumping or hitting yep. all the ditches. Like that was, that was childhood. So yeah, yeah it never, never I'd look at goes. a guy's backyard and be like, Oh, you can put a dirt bike track right, back there. Right, yep. You Any, anytime you go by a hill, you're just eyeing up whether how you could jump it, yep. what it would look like. and Yeah. Oh, yeah. Still <laughs> 32 years later, still the same thing. Yeah, no, I mean, my my dad's brother, Tim, he never really raced that much, but, you know, he was fast, just never really got into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I, probably, like, my earliest real memories would be, like, 10, 12, 13 years old. Um riding probably i don't know 95 xcrs or something mm-hmm. following my dad and my my cousin mike and and my uncle john mm-hmm. and they weren't going to slow down for anything no of course so, not. Right? <laughs> yeah um lots of vivid memories of either picking myself out of the out of the trees or picking one of them out of the trees <laughs> so yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah it was just if you couldn't keep up you probably weren't riding with that group mm-hmm. and you know, I'm sure they, they waited for me, obviously, but yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I mentioned this in my, uh, came up in my episode I did with Levi and that's where for a lot of us, yes, there's stories of our parents racing or we see racing, but like our first real time racing is chasing our parents on the trails. Yeah. That's really where it starts. And that's how it was too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because it, you started sitting in front of them, hanging onto the bars. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, we weren't going slow there either. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, I, it's crazy, yeah, to think uh, some people may not have had those experiences, but I, I just, I don't, I couldn't imagine it any other way because it's just such a f- fun thing to do. It's a cool life, man. It's a yeah, cool life. It is. Yeah, I, I love it. So, um, it's just been it's it's been a huge part of the, of my life, and you know my my dad's sister, she uh, she kind of takes care of a lot of my grandparents' uh, memory stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's got like all the magazine articles and all the moto ski memorabilia and that that kind of stuff. Stuff you can't really find anymore mm-hmm. um it's even tougher to find articles from back then you know oh yeah oh yeah yeah i mean it's you know how it is oh yeah try doing research for a podcast yeah 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 exactly <laughs> so no i i enjoy that uh that part of my my life just being involved with it for literally 30 some years <laughs> so going through the timeline you didn't get start like formally racing until like a teenager right it was kind of a late late thing for you Yep. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, like a couple of kitty cat races when you're a kid, Mm -hmm. but, um, we didn't really start racing until 07. Okay. Um, we went to one race. It was a Munising, Michigan Mm -hmm. for a USCC cross country race. And, um, I had a, my dad bought me a Rev 550 fan. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty much the, best sled at that time players didn't really have much mm-hmm. they had like a i think it was a dragon chassis maybe yeah the first iq yeah the, the IQ, trail one yeah, 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 yeah which wasn't much Not, no and then uh cat <laughs> really didn't have anything mm-hmm. so he reluctantly had to buy a skidoo because he knew that was probably the best fit yeah but yeah still no plans of racing so we went out there did that that was it turned into 45 degrees in mud and mm. there's like so in Munising, there's this huge island about seven miles offshore. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's seven miles, but it's it's four, four, five, seven. I don't know, somewhere in there. But we would race on the mainland, and then you would race all the way across Lake Superior. Oh, really? Out to this island, and then you would race on the island. That's gnarly. And then Yeah, and then come <laughs> back, and it was like one lap. And I remember Pat Mock in the driver's meeting going, yeah, so... You know, it course is really good, but the ice is just not as thick as we were hoping. So if you break down, just uh, just hang out. Someone will come grab you with a long rope, but don't pull up next to anybody. Oh, my God. There's like three inches of ice. Yep. <laughs> and my dad's like, oh, God. You know, <laughs> my kid's like 13 years old, yep. 14 years old. Yep. And, uh, but it was, it, that's, to this day, Munising is one of my favorite races. They don't, they don't have it anymore. I'm sure it's hard to get permitting out there, but so yeah, we did that and, uh, it went, it went pretty well. And then the next year we decided to go full time, I think 07, 08 and, uh, junior 14, 17, I think I want to say I won every race that year and won the, what the championship. Um, and that was, that would, that would have been, uh, yeah, junior 14 to 17, and we used that that same sled. And then I also, my grandpa had a 600 Rev in 04. 
And so I think my dad stuck me in some sport classes too. Mm-hmm. And so we did, we did some of those. And then after there, it kind of just turned into a, a full-time deal sponsorships, you know, getting faster, mm-hmm. trying to figure out different programs. And then that, that ended up uh, turning into like, uh, I don't know if, if, my dad contacted Mike Cletty or, or whatever, but I think 09, we switched to Articat because they had that 500. Mm-hmm. And uh, still, like one of the best. Yeah. Sleds like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I still wish that that sled, I still wish that there, I know there's a group for it, but I can tell you right now that the classes that they had for that sled, like uh, Sport 85 and Expert 85. Mm hmm were hands down the most competitive. Oh yeah. Because there wasn't in expert 85, there wasn't a, I guess there wasn't like a, a speed range or demographic. So like, yeah, you could be a sport rider or a pro rider and enter mm. expert 85. Yep. So it was like <laughs> DJ Eckery, Trevor, John, Nathan, Titus, um, me and Ryan Greening, mm-hmm. uh, just, I mean, it was, yep. and they were paying out too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So it was yeah. a payout class. It oh, was, yeah. That's how you're drawing in those big names for sure. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, and then it was more time on the course. So you could go look at stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was probably one of the most competitive classes <laughs> because it, the funny thing is those sleds were still fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would still do 90. Oh, yeah. It's still, I mean, the, I tried to buy my wife a, a trail sled like last year. Yeah, and she's like, "What should we look? We look for?" I'm like, "Snow Pro 500." Yep, like still one of the best sleds of all time for like the last 20 years. Just ha- basic, hands down. Mm-hmm. fast enough. Um, and Cat did it right. You know, they put it in the same chassis as as their 600. Yep, and um, it 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 just fit a lot of people really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I almost wish there was there was still somewhat of a class like that. Uh, like cheap, maybe cheaper. Yep. Uh, ba- base model sled type stuff. Yep. Um, but yeah, that class was so fun. So many talented dudes, like, and then guys that didn't want to fully commit to, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, like Trevor John. I know he didn't really do all of them, but he was retired from snowcross, obviously. And yep. Wanted to come have fun, and Titus, he would run the the phaser. <laughs> Yep. Because uh, yep. you could run the, the phaser in that class. That's kind of why they had it. Mm. They built an 85 horsepower class for the Yamaha phaser. Yeah, so they could have they could race something that wasn't just an open class. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, because the, the nitro kind of got stuck in the in the open class, especially yep. if – because I know they had some front-end deal where they tried to get it approved with I, ISR and – it didn't. It didn't really go through. Yeah, so. if you got to race that thing out of the crate. Yeah. No. Forget about it. Yeah. No. <laughs> and guys, they they tried. You know, um, Ross Erdman, Titus, Chad Guayco from Alaska. He came down and and they they gave it a valiant effort, but it was just not the time for that sled. Mm-hmm. But uh, Yamaha dumped a ton of money into that program. Oh yeah, to oh, try yeah. and make it work for for cross country. There was no shortage of efforts on Yamaha's side. I would just always imagine that their hands were tied. Like this is the sled you have to use. Yep. This is the platform you have to use, and they can only take it so far. They they tried, and you almost feel bad for them because they were stuck with these 
very like elaborate machines. Like the the, the phaser was, it's it was odd looking, right? Oh yeah. The, it's almost like you're going back 20 years to where the windshield's attached to the handlebars. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, what is this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they, I don't know, they, they got it to work, and it was fun. I'm glad that that class was there for that because, yeah, Ryan Greening, that, and he's one of the most underrated guys mm-hmm. in, in cross country. That dude is so fast and talented. But, but yeah, Sport 85, um was a big one and then kind of did some sport and then just went into semi-pro and that was with uh that was when i went to bunky racing okay and uh not not sure how that transpired either if gabe got a hold of my dad or my dad got a hold of him or whatever but mm-hmm. um that was kind of the beginning of of bunky racing so to say like the team side of it yep uh, or building what Gabe has now. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was like 2011, 2010. Okay. Uh, it would have been 2011. Um, and so I went out to Fargo and, and stayed with Gabe and, um, learned a lot. Uh, I dicked off a lot, probably could have worked a lot harder. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> Gabe and, and those guys were just pulling out their hair. Like, what did we get ourselves into? This kid is just out of hand yeah yeah <laughs> you know like where is he he's supposed to be stunned a track oh he's down at the hockey arena chasing girls or something oh yeah it's just one of those if i knew then what i knew now moments, oh I'm yeah sure. for sure um <laughs> so yeah then then that kind of i know polaris um i know tom rager and uh and rager jr they wanted me uh in in semi-pro so i think we did two years of that mm-hmm. i don't know they all they all blend together oh i'm sure um and then uh 2011 the rush mm-hmm. maybe it was 2010 first year the of first it? rush yeah um i i love uh the enthusiasm by polaris and that they really put a lot of development time and money into that sled mm-hmm. but boy oh boy that thing <laughs> was a lot of work it 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 got better like it, once it, it made it once that suspension made it to the axis yes. and it, like it got better but those first couple years were, were the, a little rough they were long yeah and uh i ended up oddly enough winning the first race in semi-pro of the season mm-hmm. and they couldn't believe it they're like well how this thing there's no way <laughs> and they i can remember i know uh, Jeff Klein, uh, one of Gabe's best friends in, in mechanics, and, and Gabe and uh, Matt Burkhart, they were in the trailer after the race. This was in uh, Grafton, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we got to tech this thing all the way down. <laughs> there's there's no way. There's, there's no, no way. way. This is legit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they had to pull the motor apart and, and all that good stuff. Um, and it was it was a I, I guess it was more successful than than I guess I give it credit to maybe for me in semi pro more than what it was for like Gabe mm-hmm. and those guys in pro because I know they they struggled like mm-hmm. um but it was just it you know we were folding chassis in half and yeah we had these brace kits it was these square one inch tube bars that would bolt to the bulkhead 
you know, yep. behind the clutch, and then it would come into the foot stirrup area, and same thing on the chain case side, just to keep the thing from from folding in half. And rails were bending. It's kind of unique because you know, from the snowcross side, we never really consider it, but you know, just take the IQR, obviously, for example, that gets so much support from an OEM. But for a lot of years, the cross country guys were like, hey, either build out this IQR to be a yep. cross country sled or you're kind of on your own. There's not like a set there. These days it's a lot better. Yes. But for a long time, it was like, you're kind of on an Island. Like, you know what, you know, you figure out what you figure out, Yep. but we don't have like a set package to sell you to set up your sled for cross country. Yeah. And at that time we were racing the IQR also. Mm-hmm. And there was like an oil injection kit and it's like, well, it's $2,500 or it's $1,500 and you, yep send the case halves in to the race department and we'll press the, you know, fittings in and then yep. you get this tank and you wire it all in and, and then you get the, you know, cause it was a, it was a mechanical oil pump. Yep. So it was hooked to the throttle. Mm-hmm. So it made the throttle pull even, even heavier. <laughs> and, um, there was no really good windshields for those things. They mm-hmm. were cold. Oh yeah. Stiff. You, you guys were fight like every year, even the, the ditch banging guys these days, like, Oh, you want to find a windshield or the, the trail tank yeah. guys, you want to find parts for those things. It few and far between. Very few and far between. And it, it, the IQR was, uh, there was a lot of races won on those mm-hmm. in cross country. Oh yeah. Um, that was a really good sled. Aaron Christensen did, did phenomenal on it. Gabe did well. Um, I loved it. Um, but yeah, the, the rush was tough and you know that you look at like what you know cats only had a couple chassis since then right Mm -hmm. and so it's like refinement 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 and i feel like with polaris and and even skidoo a little bit it's like we have this this year and then next year it's a different version of this and we're basically starting over Mm -hmm. and it was only a couple years of that and then you switch to the axis chassis uh which was light years better than the rush mm-hmm. um but still a lot of work in that you know um and you, you got to give credit to like ben hayes because i'm sure he was pulling his hair out thinking how do i get this isr approved yeah so we can put this brace on the on the tunnel or in the uh you know on the rails or whatever to get yeah. this thing to survive exactly exactly and so i you know i can confidently say there was a lot of races lost just by having new product. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they, they were good. A lot of races were won too. So, mm-hmm. and like those things were phenomenal in iron dog, the, the one thirty seven version. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean the most cush riding chop sled mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Yeah. The access one thirty seven. It just, the, they had it, they had what they wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. And it's probably still one of the best trail sleds out there. Mm-hmm. Um, chop, like it just—it's unreal how how well it works in the chop. <laughs> it just wasn't quite there for the big bump stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's where it struggled because the the shorter races down here, yeah, you get a ten mile loop, you got 170 people doing laps on it, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you're at, it, it turns into a, a snowcross race. Yep, and those things just—they struggled in the bigger bumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, these days the, the XC sleds from the factory are very, very different. But back then it was, you know, again, like we've talked about, it got better, but it's still a trail sled out of the crate. 
and you're modifying it. It's not purpose-built like a snowcross sled is. Yep. It's a trail sled. It is. But the snowcross sleds are even worse to ride or or to (laughs) To convert. To to convert. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, they're they're stiff and... Yeah, they're they're rigid rigid in the front and they're heavy. Heavy, yep. (laughs) Um, Right now, the manufacturers have it going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, The RXC that Kat's got thing looks awesome we'll see how it does this year um players cross country that thing literally uncrate it you can race mm-hmm. it same with the the skidoo uh competition mm-hmm. uncrate it you can race it and that's everyone's like oh they're they're 15 grand or they're 18 grand it's like well yeah but you, you know can literally we- uncrate it and go race it. Do you know how much work we used to have to do? Exactly. Yeah, that's one of the things, like, again, like I touched on it, I think the Snowcross guys have been spoiled about for a lot of years. Again, to your point about these days, sleds being so good, you could take any of those OE sleds, take it out of the box, and yeah, maybe your your clutching's not primo, but you can go race any yep. of these sleds right out of the box. Yeah, and the, and the factories will help too. Yep. You call, you know, uh, Ben or, or Junior or carry at the race departments and mm-hmm. you know or mike Cletty, they're they're gonna give you what it takes to go win whatever class you're in mm-hmm. so sure. Sure. i mean that's just the difference of how everything's developed and and worked into this and it's it's nice because you can any guy can just buy one now and they're literally you're studying it and maybe putting a different windshield on it and mm-hmm. and the things are like race ready oh yeah 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 you just gotta fight. You gotta order the talent. That's the problem. Yeah. Ta- the talent's usually on back order. That's what I've found over the years when I was racing. Is I'd order it every year. I'd snow check the talent, yeah. and it would just never show up. It was always weird. Well, yeah. That that some people got it. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm still waiting on it. Year, yeah. Years later, still waiting on it. I know. I'm looking for about thirty <laughs> percent more. Than oh, okay. What I got. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Maybe it's not homologated with ISR. That's why you didn't find it yet. Yeah. It's got to be part numbered. <laughs> Talent, talent part number. Oh, man. So when did you first finally uh, go pro for cross country? That That's a good question. I think it was 2014. Okay. Um, I, in War Road, uh, I think I had, I think I was second in the points championship behind Ryan Greening in semi-pro mm-hmm. and wasn't going to win it or anything. It wasn't going to change it. So I think I just went and ran the, semi-pro race and then came back in got fuel and then went out and ran the the pro race after um and i think i got like seventh or sixth Mm -hmm. uh, which which was pretty good especially after running a a semi-pro final Mm -hmm. but uh so yeah then i think 14 it might have been 13 i'm not sure it all blends together but but then the next year it was it was a full-time pro i was still with with gabe uh, with monkey racing and that was huge because he had all the knowledge and mm-hmm. and uh you know ben was working close with us on suspension and and so that that was really a, a key part to growing into the into the pro class and mm-hmm. winning some races and doing well there but that the competition was so stacked back then mm-hmm. that i don't think people realize like how many fast guys like obviously throughout the years of cross country there's always been talent right mm-hmm. but how deep did it go yes yeah. you had aaron christensen justin tate uh ryan simons ryan greening uh dj eckery 
Um, Corey Davis would come down sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, Logan Christian would show up to some. Dan Ebert mm-hmm. would show up. Um, Cody Callock was always sneakily fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabe was was still fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on. Ross Erdman. Yep. Uh, it, it just <laughs> I, on, the more that I think about it, it's like holy crap! All these guys are are wicked fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the cat was a really hard sled to beat, especially with like, well, yeah, Brian Dick. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. Um, you know, and and Brian's the lead engineer on that snowmobile too, so it's yeah. like, so he, of he, course, he, this thing is he knows this thing in, inside and was out. Was like, yeah. uh, is Dick coming? Yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, he just rolled up in his, his pickup truck. Yeah, and then you see him leaving, you know, six hours later with the trophy and the check. <laughs> In his pickup truck. It's like, God, <laughs> yeah. dang it. He just beat us all out of the back of a pickup truck. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. He's, he's, just, Brian's one of the most talented guys I've ever met too. So he needs an episode one of these days. Yep. Like he's, uh, he's at Argo, I think now too. Yep. Him, him and every other Articat guy, he's at Argo now. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Just making things go uh-huh. across, across the earth. Yep. Pretty much. Yep. Oh, man. So yeah, that, that's one thing I don't think people, realize you know there's a lot of emphasis put on like these talent uh groups or whatever you want to call it in like snowcross like oh this era Mm -hmm. or this era this era and it it's true to an extent but that 2013 to to 2017 group of guys in, in in cross country was just unreal yeah, and it's it's funny because the it seems in cross country like the, I don't know, the guys don't just like show up. There's a much longer window that guys are really really dominant in cross country, and I just I say dominant just like they could win a race. Yeah. So you end up with these like massive stretches where there's just a ton of dudes that could show up and win at any given time. Yeah. Snowcross, it's a lot quicker. Like it, guys yeah. are on it week in week out. Yep. You know, but yeah, so in cross country you show up and it's I mean, you mentioned Justin Tate. You know, the show up to a snowmobile race for like the last 30 years and Justin Tate's a threat to win a race. 1997. Yeah. <laughs> he is racing pro class. Exactly. And it's like, are you kidding me? And then he's winning the Sioux, you know, like a year ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Yeah. Dude's... I mean, he can't walk, <laughs> yeah. you know, but. Yeah. Dude's an animal. He's he is an animal. animal. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's a jerk, but he's an animal. <laughs> He'll never listen to this, so. No? I, nope. You don't think I could get him to come on for an episode? <sighs> oh, man. Probably not. No, no, I don't know. He he's on the list, but there's a lot of guys on the list that I don't have super high hopes for. <laughs> yeah, t- he might, he might, because he's you know he's not really on social media or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, he does. Uh, I will say, he's been a huge help over the years too. You know, uh, he'll walk up and be like, "Dude, what are you doing? What do you mean? Oh, just get that spring out of there." Take that up. <laughs> and half the time you got to check him because you don't yeah. know if he's like effing with you or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you got to be like, well, are you? Yes, I'm sure. If you want to go look at my sled, you can go look at it. I'm not, not can you? But you have to check him because yeah. he might be effing Because he might you. just be screwing you over. Yes, because uh, <laughs> he's just that that guy. But no, he's been a ton of help. Um, he was my partner at the Sioux mm-hmm. multiple times. So yeah, Tate and I go way back. So... <laughs> And my, my parents have known Justin for a long time too. So there's some, uh, 
I know there's a story about one Aspen X Games that uh, I don't know if he had his shirt off at a at some nightclub or something. He was getting whipped and tased. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> Justin is is he's the pinnacle of of just being talented for a serious amount of time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's a he's a Mike Brown type yeah. type guy. Just just annoyingly fast no matter what age he is yep. or or what discipline you throw him in. He'll exactly. figure it out. Yeah, he's yeah. just unreal. Yep. So you mentioned it a couple times with the Sioux, and I know the Sioux is probably your favorite race just every year. So like you probably grew up watching the Sioux or, or following it in some capacity, but when did you first get the opportunity to race at the Sioux? Um, honestly, I had no idea what it was oh, really? until my dad's like, oh yeah, we're going to the Sioux this year. I'm like, what is, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> this is, uh, 2012. Okay. Uh, so I was with Gabe, I think doing well in the semi-pro stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, so we went over there and, um, this was, I think the, maybe the second year of like Ben's program like Mm -hmm. to where he was kind of like building yeah factory factory sled yep yep and uh so went over there and um i ran they do they do it differently now but they they did like a rookie race and then they did like a a rookie roundup there was like a kind of a class but you'd go out there and you'd ride and um you'd have to go through all these like I guess pre-events during the week. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like a practice qualifying section session. Yep. And then, uh, and then you do this rookie roundup and then they had this, uh, pro am race so that the rookies could come in and practice like pit stops and, and, mm-hmm. um, switching off with a, another driver. So we entered that and it wasn't like, it wasn't a race. So to say you kind of just started, Mm-hmm. And I remember getting out there, and that snowmobile was so freaking fast. <laughs> and I, I have it's on YouTube. My couple of my GoPros from that sled. Mm-hmm. But you're just driving by people. Yep. And you're like, this, this is this isn't real cheating. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not even trying that hard. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, just like we just started like mid packer in the back of the pack and this rookie stuff, and pretty soon like up front, and. uh I'm like, okay, this thing is just wicked fast. And they do some practice cautions. Um, yeah, it, it, and it was, it was cool because you were at race pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then come in, switch off with Gabe. He goes out and, and come back in. I can't remember exactly how it worked, but that was, yeah, it was 2012. And then they ended up, Aaron and, and Gabe ended up winning it. And I was signed up as a third driver, mm-hmm. so I I don't like claiming that because I that win because that I really didn't have a, a a part of that, but it's it's part of the paper deal. It's it's on paper, so <laughs> I guess it counts. So I mean, yeah, you were there, man. You were part of the team. I I get it. But yeah, you, guys who didn't play in the playoffs still have a ring. True. There's a. I remember I used to be into basketball quite a bit when I was a kid. And there was this player for the Boston Celtics named Brian Scalabrini, legendary because he was just all he did was shoot threes in the corner. He was super goofy. But they asked him after they won the 08 championship, they're like, how do you feel about not not playing? And he's like, well, in 10 years, I'm going to be able to tell my kids I played 
20 years, I'm going to be able to say I started. And in yeah. 30 years, I'm going to say I was MVP, and nobody's going to care. Nope. Nobody so, will know. Nope. Exactly. That's And that's the thing, too, is there's a lot of talented guys that have probably won it the same way or, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that, that one I, I don't really like to claim. But I, I did back it up the next year uh, somewhat. Um, we went over there. Gabe uh, helped build our sled. Mm-hmm. But my dad kind of put our own program together with Ivan Hansen. And he Ivan's won it. Um, super talented Myra racer and, and Sue racer and stuff. And had, had Ivan as my crew chief. And um, we you can't start the Sioux when you're a, a rookie for two years. Oh, okay. So you have to have another driver start it. Um, so we had Mike Babcock come down. He's a legend of, of the Sioux older guy, but just something to where we knew Mike wasn't going to crash the sled. Wasn't going to really cause any harm or, or damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we ended up third and a lot of people give me grief for this because they, they called it like 50 laps before the finish because it was snowing so bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, my track was starting to de- delaminate pretty bad. <laughs> um, yep. But, yeah, there's – I was down two laps with like, a I don't know, 150 laps to go, and I had made that all back up onto the lead lap mm-hmm. by the time that they called it. So – I, I think that had to do with delaminating that, that yeah. track a little bit because, <laughs> yeah, I was putting down some serious time. But, but yeah, we ended up third, and that was the year that we went one, two, three, uh, Polaris. Mm-hmm. So it was Gabe and Aaron and then uh, Faust Brothers in second and then and me and Mike in third. So that was pretty cool. Attention snowmobile racers. When it comes to dominating the track, trust the experts at Woody's Traction and Control. Their cutting-edge products are engineered for peak performance, providing unmatched grip and control in every turn. Don't let the competition catch up. Upgrade your sled with Woody's Traction and Control products today. Visit www.woodystraction.com and experience the winning difference. Woody's Traction and Control, where precision meets victory on the snow. Yeah, it's pretty cool to hear, like, even the episode I did with, with Ben, just how much that, like a win at the Sioux and basically Polaris's Sioux program just like eluded him for a long time. Yeah. He's like, it was really annoying that we'd go to this race and we had zero presence. So yep. it is cool to see it from the other side. Like, no, it was a good program. Like they built a good sled. You had to have talented riders, of course, but the, with the machine under you, it was definitely doable. That program was so, I mean, it was so cookie cutter that literally that's all we did to build my sled mm-hmm. Buy the kit. Here's all the part numbers that Ben provided. Uh, call Larry Rugland, get the motor, get the pipes, and then you just put it together. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's on your own how you set up the the, the sled. You yeah. know, you get the shocks from Ben and stuff like that. But it's like your stud pattern, yeah, 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 your carbides, your skis, all that kind of stuff, your handlebars. But he had it so dialed that it was literally copy paste, and you could be in the in the top three. That's wild. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So that was 2013. Um, and then after that, it, it kind of, we we went back. Uh, I had to take the year off in 2014 because um, I wanted to race Duluth. Mm. And uh, I raced it in 2013, and it went well. 
I ran sport and there was like, I can't remember. It was like 130 drivers, I think in sport class back then. And I, I remember, you know, like Cole Katu, Dylan Jansen, um, I'm sure Kern and a bunch of those other guys. Uh, but yeah, just tons of talented dudes, but it was like, you had to go like one, one, yep. two or something. I, I don't know. Someone, I think Dylan was telling me the other day, I might've had to go to the, the LCQ cause I was back row. Yeah. I was first pick back row. So I think I might've went like one, one, two in the heats or something. I can't remember, but it was ridiculous. Oh yeah. The, the couple times I only raced nationals a couple times and I raced sport light and I went like five, five in my heats. I wasn't even in the LCQ. Right. right. I didn't even make the LCQ. Yeah. So I, I can empathize. Yeah. It's sure. uh it, and I, I think Junior was a little reluctant, but he uh, he gave in, let me do it. And then, of course, in 2014, I was like, oh, I'm going to do it again. That went really well. And I cased the downhill mm. quad or triple, whatever yeah. they had built that was stupidly large, and shattered my heel and my, my navicular and a bunch of other bones in my foot. And so, yeah, no cross-country season that whole season. So Snow cross, catch the fever. <laughs> yeah, took out one of the one of juniors up and coming pro guys for cross country. So that was not a good showing. It mm. sucked. It was it was a bad injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I crushed it. I don't know how because I didn't even land that hard. Mm. I didn't come off the sled. Mm. I literally rolled up to the uh, the finish line, and uh, Robbie Malinowski was standing there, and uh, David Fisher, mm-hmm. and they. We're like, what are you doing? Like, dude, my foot's broken. It feels like somebody poured boiling water down my butt, boot. And, uh, yeah, it was surgery, the whole works, out for the whole season. Mm. So when did you finally, I mean, you're, were, you, were you in a boot the whole year and stuff like that? Or yep. was it, okay. So when did you finally get out of it? Like, were you doing rehab in the summer or what's the? <laughs> well, there's a picture of me at Detroit Lakes with a plastic bag around my <laughs> leg uh, trying to get some some points points, because i thought i might be able to finish the last like four or three races of the season Mm -hmm. um and it is so dumb i was out there it's a it's a lake race and i blew a track with this cast on my leg and this bag around my leg and i'm like going down this ice chute no track because when they spit out the back at 100 you, you start going faster oh yeah there's no, there's no grip anymore. No. You're just sliding. Yeah. And so, yeah, the only thing you can do is literally just try and not touch the bars so they stay as straight as possible so the back end doesn't chase you. And so, yeah, I just came in, got towed in, parked it. That was dumb. Um, and ended up making the last race that year. That was in Walker, mm-hmm. which was a fun race. But, um, but yeah, pretty much that, that, that whole year was shot. And then... Um, I don't know where it went from there, 20, 2016, I think. And then that was, I think, no, so 2015, I ended up third in, in uh, cross-country points okay. behind Herf and Selby. Mm-hmm. So that was a good year. Okay. That was on the, the Axis Rush. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a, a lot of good changes that year, I think. You know, we had like two inch body uh, walkers on the front and the in the center, 
uh, and the rear, actually. We went two inch all the way around, and I think that was a, a big help. Um, stiffened up the chassis quite a bit. Um, finally got, you know, some rail braces approved and stuff like that mm-hmm. to where we could confidently ride the, the machine mm-hmm. and do well. And so that that was a fun year. That's that's really when Zach started. I mean, that's, that's when he really started pouring it on everybody. That's when Zach happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, not really, but he's always been there, but... But not to that level. Like, yeah, I was yeah. like, holy crap, this mm-hmm. kid is just exhausting. Because, <laughs> you know, because you're just trying really hard to beat him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he takes it really well, too. Like, he's one of the only guys I can constantly give shit mm-hmm. and, like, talk crap to. And we just laugh. Yeah. You know? Like, see you next week, and I'm going to T-bone you. <laughs> he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. It's just... it's. It's funny. Like I've talked to this about some people because I, I got into like hair scrambles and stuff the last couple of years and I didn't race moto or anything growing up. It was always just snow cross and just the like the what do you want to call it? The the cross country or the off road community. So much more fun. Yep. Like so much more casual. Yeah. Like it's just so different than snow cross or motocross. Yeah. It's, it's like, crazy. Don't come in my trailer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah There's just there's so much more helpful. There's so yep. much more ball busting. Cross like, country, like yeah you could you can call zach right now he'll send you a picture of his stud pattern and mm-hmm. tell you what carbides he's got on i'd do the same thing because it's really is that wh- why you're gonna beat me yeah especially yeah it's that, it's not gonna be a we're a out there for two make. hours yeah there's way too many variables like there is some stuff where it's like okay i don't need to share that kind of information but that just comes with with time and mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah so, again, going through the timeline, it became a big part of your life because you actually moved out there too, but the Iron Dog, when was the first opportunity you had to race that? And I know there's some, like, interesting circumstance, like there was no prep time, yeah. super last minute. What's the story on that? Um, super last minute. I'm sitting, uh, I was at my parents' house up on Lake Vermilion, and it was late, like, I want to say 9.30 or 10 at night. And this was the weekend prior to that first Red Bull race that they were going to do. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and it it was Corey Davis. So I'm like, okay. I answered it. He's like, what's going on? Oh, not much. Hey, uh, there's this guy up here. I know he's his partner just got hurt, and he needs a, a fill-in guy. He doesn't want to just ax the whole program, but like, I'll vouch for him. I know he's got pretty decent equipment. Um, you want to come up and try it? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. When is it? You know, like a couple yeah. weeks or whatever. He's like, oh no, it's in like three days. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I don't know about that, but I, I mean, I guess. So yeah. I'm like on my phone while he's on the phone with me looking at tickets. I'm like, oh, I guess there is one leaving Minneapolis tomorrow morning at six. He's like, yeah, I mean, the, the sleds are ready to go. Just bring your helmet and show up mm-hmm. he's like we'll figure out the rest because you got to get like uh you know all your medical stuff signed away mm-hmm. you have to get stuff notarized mm. so it's it's not just like you just show signing up, and, up yeah. like for yeah. a regular race mm-hmm. um so I, I go into the living room i'm like hey uh i'm i'm going to alaska in the morning 
And they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to race Iron Dog. My dad lost his mind. Yeah, he's the like, hell you, you are. Can't. Are you are you effing kidding me? He's like, that that's the most dangerous race. Like, you can't just show up to something like that. I'm like, I don't know. This guy's got stuff like ready to go. Corey said it's like he vouches for him, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I trust Corey. I've known him for probably five six years at this point, mm-hmm. maybe even longer. And so he called me and was like, yeah. It's, you don't have to pay anything. Just show up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I can remember there was there was definitely some arguments with my my dad. <laughs> but I booked the ticket anyways, shoved everything in a duffel bag. And uh, <laughs> so Dan Tebow, I still talk to him. He's, he's one of my real good friends, was the guy that I would be racing with. And this is like... 2016 Bobby, you know, like uh, king shit, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I don't need any advice. I, I, yeah. I, I know how to do this. I can ride. S- you know, Vans shoes yeah. and skinny California jeans. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I get off the plane and I'm walking through the Anchorage airport. And Dan's like, well, I'm here waiting for you. I'm like, yeah, I'm standing at the top. He's like, what are you wearing? I'm like, maroon skinny jeans. And he looks up the stairs, and he's, I'm standing there, and he shakes his head, and he's just like, what the <laughs> F have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so that that was fun. I mean, I showed up, and uh, we got some stuff notarized and uh, went to his house. And he's like, well, here's the sleds. We're, we're going to Big Lake uh, to test or so you can ride the thing, so mm-hmm. you can see what it's like. Um, and... So obviously didn't have any time to change the shocks or anything. Like I was riding what his partner was going to race. That's the end of the story. And, and his yeah. partner was not my size. I mean, mm-hmm. He's a bigger guy. Yep. Um, so yeah, I got, got up to, uh, to big Lake, obviously had no idea what I was doing, where I was going. Never been to that part of Alaska. I'd been to the, mm-hmm. to other parts of Alaska, but never been up there. And we go out to, uh, the river and come back, you know, like a 30 mile ride. And he's like, well, all right, that's it. (laughs) So that was my prep. And, uh, then at this point, at this time in, in the iron dog, uh, timeframe, they had their like show and shine thing, Mm -hmm. tech inspection at Cabela's in Anchorage. Okay. It was a really cool setup. Mm -hmm. And so all the sleds would be on display and, and at, I did, you know, it wasn't as daunting as you'd think. Like, I had known Tyler Acklestead because he had come down here, Chad Guaco, um, Scotty Fayo, uh, Corey Davis, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd known a pretty good group of guys mm-hmm. already. So it, it wasn't like I was um, in the middle of nowhere with nobody I knew. Mm-hmm. But God... I had no idea what I had gotten myself into. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and so 2015, I don't know if you've seen the videos of the race with no snow. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. that was 15. 16 wasn't much better. Mm. Uh, I think it was like 42 when we left Big Lake, you know, four inches of standing water. Mm-hmm. And um, we're coming up up the river, and I had never been this far up the river. And I like, I'm like nervously scared because Dan's like pulling away. He's obviously been up the river 200 times this year. 
And I'm on the radio. I'm like, dude, where are you? He's like, just follow the effing river. It's one river. He's like, you can't get lost. I'm like, this thing is two miles wide. <laughs> because it is, you know, yeah. the, the, the Yetna is, is, it's like a mile wide in, mm-hmm. in some spots. And he's like, just, I'm like, there's trails going everywhere. He's like, they're just trapper trails. Just follow the main trail. Okay. He's like, I'll slow down. So he, which is funny because at that time I was in my prime. It was like, I'm not a slow snowmobiler. Yeah. I'm just but not in my element. Right I'm now. not in my element yeah. and I could not keep up to him at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we get to the first gas stop and he's like, you're doing fine. Just, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to go for a ride because this is better than me spending 70 grand and not being able to do this. Yeah. And, uh, so then the first day of iron dog is, is gnarly because mm-hmm. you get up into these up north of shell lake and into puntilla and it's like these three foot rollers after roller after roller for like an hour mm. so you're just standing going whoa, 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 and it's just it's brutally rough you can't double them they're too peaky there's no rhythm mm-hmm. uh so you're just smashing through them and uh it's single trail and you can't pass oh yeah well it's it's like 40 and the snow is so punchy and slow and there's guys stuck and I'm an idiot. I think we're racing, you know, a hundred mile cross country race. Yeah. So I'm like going out trying to pass people and I'm like trying to pass, uh, Todd Minnick and Nick, Nick Olstad, like iron dog champs. Yeah. And I'm like in front of them. Now Dan is behind <laughs> them and I'm in front of them. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, what, why would you do that? Yeah. This is a, this is a slow burn. Yeah. Okay, you know? And I don't know where I'm going either. <laughs> yeah. So then I look like a, a ding dong, you know, pulling over, letting them pass to, so I could get back behind Dan. I'm like, yeah. okay, I need to cool my jets here. <laughs> and uh, so then it started snowing really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember guys getting stuck uh, in the gorge on the other side of the steps, like on the Happy River. This is all stuff that nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. But um, and then we get into Rainy Pass Lodge. And he's like, grab your bag. We're laying over. I'm like, already? I thought we were going to McGrath. He's like, nope. It snowed like two feet in the pass. He's like, we'll let let the slower teams go or whatever. So this is like, you know, early in the evening. We go up, start eating, and get our little cabin. I can't sleep. Mm -hmm. And so... He's like, yep, yeah, we're taking a six, six hour layover. So we got to get up at two or we're leaving at two. I'm like, oh yeah, no problem. I'll nap. Couldn't sleep. I think I went to sleep at midnight and he like woke me up at one thirty. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, here we go. And, uh, so yeah, we get going at two in the morning and you're just like, I'm riding a snowmobile right now in the middle of nowhere at two in the morning going through, you know, rainy pass and. Yeah, it just and when we say middle of nowhere, it's more middle of no than yeah, nothing like this. Nothing, literally middle of nowhere. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, 150 miles from a road. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, we went really well. You know, we were actually doing pretty good. I think we were in like sixth after day one, and it was funny because we left Big Lake. It was 40 above, and we got into McGrath, and it was like 40 below. Oh man! And the thing with Iron Dog is, is you're wearing, you try to wear the same gear throughout the whole race because it's not like you're gonna carry a puffy coat with you or mm-hmm. yeah. different gear. 
maybe you might stick something else in the airplane, but you got to like know like, okay, tomorrow it's going to be 40 below. Yeah. But then you get into another section that's full of bumps and you're sweating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you got to know like, uh, just keep this one set of gear on. And he's trying to explain this to me like before we even start. He's like, you're going to wear this jacket for six days. So you're going to learn to open the vents and close the vents because that's, that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you're coming down uh, the river into McGrath and you're like, it's, it's got to be 30 below. Like, mm-hmm. This is cold. Um, yeah, so then d- day two, I remember it vividly. We plopped down onto the river, leaving McGrath, heading to Galena, and I jumped down onto the river and my front track shock went click and I blew it right there, right at the start of day two. And I didn't realize like we could have like turned back around and take another layover and like got a shock in McGrath and replaced it. Mm -hmm. And like, we get like 40 miles into day two and I radio Dan. I'm like, dude, my front track shock is gone. He's like, since when? I'm like, since we left, he's like, why didn't you say anything? And it was so brutally rough, mm-hmm. like, cause there wasn't much snow that year. So it was all just frozen ground mm-hmm. and, uh, rode all the way to Galena like that. And, uh, it beat my guts. Oh, I bet. And, uh, yeah. So I ended up getting sick. We thought we were going to have to scratch in, in Uniclete. I was drinking Pepto-Bismol like by the gallon you know, it's like $26 a bottle yeah, up there. Up there yep, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, trying to give me Tums and I was in so much pain. Like I just, my stomach was just tied up, locked yeah. up solid. And, uh, we kept, kept going and, and yeah, just made it into Nome. And my parents actually showed up in Nome. <laughs> Surprised me. <laughs> They're like in Nome waiting. I'm like, yeah. what? So, and you're, so, yeah. you're probably not in any real mood to, to talk to him or anything. I was not feeling good. No. <laughs> yep. uh, oddly enough, I have family in Nome. Oh, really? So I got to stay at my cousin's house. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so that was nice. Had like a real bed and didn't have to stay at a hotel or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, well, no, that year Dan and I did stay in a hotel. But yeah, just uh, then you get a break and you get to work on your stuff. And yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um my parents showed up, my sister, and then, um, yeah, we had a, a really good run going back to Fairbanks and had some issues, but we ended up ninth, which I thought was pretty good for just showing up. I mean, you finished the Iron Dog. like that. that again, like, there's a lot of races where, like, of course guys want to win, but there's certain events where it's like you finished. Yeah. That's, that's insane in itself. And I, I want to – I would like to – to be on the podium in Iron Dog, it's just not in the cards right now. I, I love that race to death, but it is to do it the way I want to do it. I need like a, a lot more budget and time. Um, I just had a kid, and you know, I I'd like to grow the the business a little bit more, and mm-hmm. I like helping guys out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the to do it the way I want to do it, I mean, a lot of money, a lot of time. And uh, it'll happen. It's just not in the cards right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did I did do it with Dan again. We were running really good. Uh, the second year, we were fourth leaving Nome. Okay. And two of the teams in front of us ended up breaking down. Mm. But we, we broke down too. 
So that's a good, that was a good what if race. And then uh, went with Troy Conlon and had some issues there. I decided to delete both, both sides of my front end coming through a patch of trees. And so, yeah, just that's the, the, the thing about that race is like, there's so much that can happen when everything's going really good. And it's like you're you're prepping for a year. It's not like, I'll just fix it and we'll rebound next week. It's like, nope, that was it. Right. Now I got to wait another year for this. Well, it, it's it's funny because you could do it on a whim. Mm-hmm. Like, you could actually uncreate a sled, put a couple braces on it, a light bar and a tank, yeah, and go do it and actually do well. Oh, yeah. But then I'm not going to go to finish it. I'm I'm trying to like get in the top five or top three. Yeah. So then there's there becomes like a level of, well, how fast do you ride in this section and that section and mm-hmm. how do you prepare? How do you train? You know, Troy and I would go on these, these rides like five six hundred miles, and, you know, beat the shit out of the plastic uh, out of the practice sleds and, and, that's what it takes, you know, mm-hmm. to to be a, a top team, but. Then you get into the race and you it wipe almost out. Does, almost doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Corey Davis is the best person at not preparing and doing well. Like, he, dude's just like stupid talented at whatever he wants to yeah. do. Yeah, weird. He's he's like a cuddly teddy teddy bear. Like <laughs> if you just look at him, you're like, oh, you've gained some weight, but. <laughs> <laughs> then he gets on a snowmobile and you're just like, oh my god. Um, yeah, like him and Simon's, you know, they can just do two practice rides and then it's like you can't shake them. They're in the top mm-hmm. two, or top three, and there's a, there's a lot of guys like that, but not like not like Corey. He's just <laughs> way too talented for his own good. He's uh he's on the list for this show to bug yep. to bug him at some point in time. He'll he's, be. It's just a, a raw talent on a snowmobile. He'll be a good one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I remember at Red Bull Fuel and Fury back in like twenty. Oh yeah, in, real uh, throwback there. It was like maybe it was like oh nine or something in Chicago. Oh yeah, was yeah. it because th- the first one was in Milwaukee? I yep. remember that one. But that oh. was that was a long. That was like oh seven. Yeah, that was the OG one or oh six maybe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they did the Chicago one, and there's yeah, there's some funny stories there, but. Yeah, no, I mean, Corey is just super talented. But I got to give credit where credit is due. Those Alaska guys are unbelievable on a snowmobile. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, there's a handful of them I can name, but it just they're so naturally talented for any type of terrain, mm-hmm. and any circumstance, and, and really high speeds too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like Tyson Johnson and Tyler Acklestead, Nick Olstead, um, Corey, like I don't know. There's Casey Boylan, just tons of talented guys up mm-hmm. there. Everybody's like, "Well, they never come down here and race." It's like, well, logistically, it's a nightmare, mm-hmm. and it is different. But I still think that they would do well. Oh yeah, you oh, know. Yeah. yeah, I'm not here to to blow the cross country guys, but I will definitely say, like. If you want to just talk about like some of the most talented people on a snowmobile, you're yeah. gonna find it in the cross country guys because you put them doing pretty much anything, yep. they can compete. Yeah, you put snowcross guys in the woods, meh. You put them on the mountain, meh. They you, get there. Yeah, but 
Yeah. It's not, they don't adapt as quick. Yeah. That's you why want... you only have a few of the ex snowcrossers still doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, like Tate and, and uh, Aaron Christensen, um, you know, Selby. But, but still, it's like a lot of those snowcross guys can't even fathom doing 90. It's, I raced a couple cross country races over the years and I was always on a snow cross sled. So the setup was never ideal, but it was just so, it's such a change in mentality and it takes so long to like train your brain. Like, yeah, you got a really good start, but you now have to maintain the speed or you have to find your way of when you're going to dial back instead of just like hundred percent for five minutes. Yeah. It's really difficult to train out of that. It is. What the... I will say with the way that the, how good the sleds are these days, like Iron Dog has turned into this six day sprint. Really? Yeah. It's wild. It's insane. Yeah. It's just watching some of those guys, like just like a, like, yeah, it's race pace, but it's not like all out. It's them like, okay, I'm going to be conservative. Yeah. But then you, and you're like, I would never go that fast in my life. And that's you being conservative. conservative yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Like, so at one point, like you moved out there full time. Was it, was it based around this race? Like you were trying to chase it a little bit more or what was the the reasoning behind that? Yeah. Uh, 16, I was the most fun I'd ever had on a snowmobile. Um, and then, I mean, if I'm being honest, I just kind of got sick of a new sled every year with, with Polaris. Mm Mm-hmm. And I get why they did it. They have some of the best campaign marketing stuff. Um, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't know. I was struggling. Maybe I wasn't putting in enough work either. But I just saw this opportunity. I'm like, I don't have anything going on down here, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I work for my dad. And uh, I guess at that time, I was I was selling cars for Jeff Hayford. Yeah. But it's like, what am I, you know, yeah, I don't know. There's nothing really holding me here yeah. for the most part. So after the 17 race, my second Iron Dog, we broke down early and I went back to Big Lake and hung out at a, at a cabin of some, some good friends. And um, I was just like, what? Like, I'm moving up here, mm-hmm. you know? Um. Yeah, and and I did. I went home and told my parents I was like, I'm moving to Alaska. Loaded up the trailer and and moved up and yeah, I I'm glad I did it because mm-hmm. it was the best best time of my life. Mm-hmm. Alaska's unreal. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I've done some pretty wild things <laughs> up there. So yeah, it's it's on my bucket list of places to visit at some point in time. Not just for like yeah, snowmobiling, sick, but just like the scenery and the outdoor yeah. life. Like it's it's a cool thing. I think I'd like to experience. Well, there's point. just so many times where you're like, what am I doing here? Like, um, I got dropped off in a helicopter to pick up uh, Tyson Johnson's broken Iron Dog sled <laughs> by myself, like out by Roan, which is really desolate. Mm-hmm. Um. And you're like with a bag of tools, you know, the helicopter, you can't put a, an engine cover on to stay warm. So he's like, well, I got to go. Good luck. You know, and you're in, <laughs> you're 200 miles from a road in the middle of nowhere and you got this little bag of tools and you got to put arms and shocks on and, and then ride it out. Yeah. You know, it's like nobody would believe you. 
<laughs> you know, thank God that we have, I have a phone that I can document this stuff with mm-hmm. and, and stuff. But yeah, Alaska's just like, you, you know, you get home and you're like, you get in the shower and you hang out with your girlfriend. And, well, what'd you do today? Oh yeah. I got a helicopter ride <laughs> out into the middle of nowhere and went for a 200 mile snowmobile ride by myself. <laughs> you know, you can't make it up. No, you can't. <laughs> it's uh, it's literally the, the coolest place on earth. Someday. Yeah. Someday. And the lack of rules is really nice. <laughs> or government, I should say. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, for me, I just you know, obviously grew up watching all the snowmobile videos like anybody else. And anytime there, I was always a, a turn again, hardcore guy. I always yep. enjoyed those videos. So, and, uh, and you know, talking about uh, Corey Davis when he did Winter Project, really big fan of that, that movie as well. Yeah, so. the guys at Hybrid Color Films, uh, they, they killed it on that, you know, they put a lot of time and effort into that project. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy what they accomplished. That year, there was no snow either. Mm-hmm. They tried really hard. Um, yeah, Kyle Arambiro and, and um, Travis Smith and, and Corey and all those guys put tons of time and, and money and effort into it. And It was a really cool project. For sure, for sure. So it's a big part of your life now, but 131 Racing... You know, you're doing a lot of stuff with suspension, calibration, stuff like that. When did you first kind of get a taste of of enjoying that part of it? Like, because obviously you have to like it in order for it to become part of your business. Yeah. Um, I guess my first set of suspension that I valved myself was in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I started playing around with it. And then I did the first race set i guess you could say that i did was in 2018 uh for my dad and steve swenson when they raced iron dog and then um i helped out zach wise and andy goki i think he was racing with andy at that time and i just kind of gotten into it um i don't know why but i just was intrigued by it and had more time to do that kind of stuff when i was up there Mm -hmm. um and I had uh, some good influences too. I basically learned everything about shocks from from Eric Quam. Okay. Uh, he raced Iron Dog with Brian Dick, uh, and then he's he won in twenty fifteen um, with Scott Fayo. But but yeah, Eric's like uh, certified genius engineer. Mm-hmm. Just you know, love the guy to death. He's one he's one of my best friends. I, I mean, we talk almost every day, but overthinks a lot of stuff and um but that's just part of of who he is but he he taught me a lot and then you know bob at walker evans um been friends with him he's taught me a lot and then uh a couple other guys here and there you know it's nice having lots of contacts to to bounce stuff off but you know you're in the right direction when people that don't communicate are on the same page of how they think shocks should be built mm-hmm. and valved and i think that sped up the process of like learning how to do it correctly mm-hmm. and i was riding you know at, at a really high pace at that time so it was like i could do my shocks and go try it at a top level mm-hmm. and know what i did do it rather than having some mediocre guy go try it and yep. not give good feedback well no I can make the changes and I can go out there. And I think that's what, that's how it grew so fast is because 
I'm able to ride it at a top level. So I'm able to talk to all these people, get help, you know, learn what a bleed does. And if I move this shim, what does that do? And, uh, nitrogen pressure and IFP heights. And there's so much that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I think me being able to ride the stuff and have other fast people ride it with me is what really made it grow, grow so fast. Mm -hmm. So was all your learning kind of just learning from people and super like grassroots type stuff? Or did you do like a, like a training seminar with anybody or just super? No, it was literally self-taught um, with, with the help of, of Eric, you know, um, but it's not like I would go over to his house every night. Mm -hmm. It was like, call him. If I move this, what is this going to do? Well, this is going to do that. And then uh, I <laughs> I found this old pitcher. It's probably 20 years old of like an old race tech valve stack. Mm -hmm. But it had like notes of like what each part of the stack was doing. Mm -hmm. And it was it basically it coincided with what Bob and, and Eric would was explaining to me and it, it kind of just broke it down differently. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really started getting into changing the stacks and, um, trying different bleeds and different oil, different, you know, then you, you get into the math side of it and you take your volume of, of like your, your, uh, reservoir, right. Mm -hmm. You're putting nitrogen in there. Well, if you change the IFP height and you put the same amount of nitrogen in there, how much, how many pounds of nitrogen is it when that IFP or that shock is completely mm -hmm. collapsed? You know, there's tons that goes into it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just, I liked it because it was like something that not everybody could do, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's, there's a lot of guys that quote unquote do suspension, but they might not actually understand it. Yes. They're like, I... I learned a couple times that if I go this direction, this is the feel, or if I go this direction, it's like the difference between, if there's any guys that work at dealerships that are listening, the difference between a parts changer and a technician. Yeah. Like very, very similar to that with guys yes. that do suspension. Yeah. And there's a lot of suspension shops, mm -hmm. but I can, and, and I, I try not to be, I try to be humble, but like, you know, last week I sent two sets of shocks out to Beaujagir for mm -hmm. the, for the oval race. Mm -hmm. And I pulled that valve in just out of a whim for the champ sled and for the F3. Mm -hmm. Um, and they ended up running both sets and they, they liked them both better than what they had had mm -hmm. and what, what they had been running. It's not like I had a dyno sheet or a bunch of notes off of a freaking my cool chassis champ mm -hmm. sled mm -hmm. to go off of i just was like man i this is what i've ran on the ice uh, you know that sled's half the weight mm -hmm. so you know do this this and that the sway bar is way stiffer on the champ sled so i don't need this and so but that all comes with like just knowing snowmobiles snowmobiles and what you're doing yep. to that shock and you know uh gotta give credit to casey boylan He's an iron dogger that's been running my stuff, you know, for probably three years now mm -hmm. exclusively, but he has the dedication it takes to make changes. So it's like Casey will go out for 20 minutes, come back, tear the shock out, 
and make me change a shim. Mm-hmm. And then he'll put the shock back in, go back out, come back, change the bleed. Like time after time after time. And he's a big boy. Like Casey's 220. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, well, how do you get his stuff to survive throughout Iron Dog without, you know, without replacing a shock? Because these guys, like the last three years, knock on wood, have not had to replace a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much that goes into it, and it's time. Yep. You can't just throw something at it. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had more time to develop better stuff because I know I can. Mm-hmm. Like the stuff that I'm giving to my skidoo guys it works really well and everything, but it's not that great. Yeah. So to say, like, it's really good. You can win on it, you know, um, but it can be better. It's just not perfect, but I don't have the time to go and make 20 changes in a day to, to make it better. Cause I have, you know, I got Polaris guys that I'm helping and, mm-hmm. um, the KYBs are so much different than the walkers and, and there's mm-hmm. so much that goes into it, but, um, and now I'm helping Taylor Lindy with some Remshaw stuff. He's going to be racing the pro class this year. He won, uh, I think 600 improved at Jackson last year. So he'll be running some of my stuff well, all of my stuff. And then I got my iron dog guys and then Lydia Sobeck. She won the pro women's class last year on my valving mm-hmm. uh, for at the I 500. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's getting busier in in the right direction. Our Seuss led last year, obviously, was it worked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Everybody looked at us like we were nuts. We were, I think, we had an inch more travel than everybody else there, but it still turned. Mm-hmm. So why not? Yeah. You know? So yeah, there's just tons tons of stuff that that goes into it, and I'm by no means the best shock builder ever, but I'm at the right age and. I can still ride the stuff. Like I can still even go ride a, a snowcross sled at a decent pace if I had to, mm-hmm. to go try stuff. And I think that's what's still setting me apart mm-hmm. is that I can actually go try what I'm tra- Yeah. Like practice what I preach, I guess. Oh, for sure. For I'm sure. not going to give something to somebody that's going to go make them cartwheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I would imagine like, cause you're still somewhat new in the suspension world like just in terms of how long you've been yep. doing it and probably your ultimate goal is basically I, I need a book like this thick where it's like all right what's the weather what's the, what are the snow conditions how long's a race yep tell me all the settings of your sled and that'll like kick out like 40 things i should try yes. or start with and then we go from there yeah and, and that's, I, that takes time i need to develop that because that's how i get these guys to communicate with me better Mm-hmm. What springs? How much preload? Yep. Like, did it feel choppy? Did it feel harsh? You know, like, there's so much that goes into it. You know, the biggest thing with the Alaska guys is they count clickers backwards. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, you talk to Ben <laughs> or you talk to guys at Racetech or guys at mm-hmm. Walker. It's like, it's basically a needle in a seat. You screw it all the way in, that's mm-hmm. zero. Yep. Because no oil can go through, right? Mm-hmm. And then you start backing it off. So all the way in, four out. Okay. So I'm four clicks out from stiff. Got it. And that equalizes it, right? Mm -hmm. Because then you know you're exactly four clicks out. One shock might have 13 clicks. One might have 12. So if you go all the way out, they might be different, right? (laughs) And all the Alaska guys, (laughs) they're like, well, I start at soft. 
I'm like, okay, I understand that. Yep. It might be easier in your brain because you're going stiffer. Yeah. But that's, I, I need you to start all the way hard yep. and then count your clicks going back out. Yeah. And you're like, well, I mean, if he's a skidoo guy, it's like, all right, well, that's very different on your KYBs compared yeah. to your walkers. So those are two completely different settings. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they are because the, the clickers are, are way different. Mm hmm. You know, the walker clickers, uh, they get, to me, they get harsh. Like, if mm -hmm. you look at it on the dyno, after like six clicks, they just get, get harsh mm -hmm. and they do weird things. So it's like, I try to build the valve in so that you're, you're, pretty far out on the clicks mm -hmm. so that you're not restricting oil and getting weird spikes and all that kind of stuff it's it's always interesting like because we just did one of these with rick strobel um, mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago and i always just like listening to people who are who just know their stuff it's always fun just like stuff that's like way above my head but yeah they could they can tell they're really passionate about it it's yep. always it's always cool yeah i i love suspension and um you know it's funny it, I grew up just down the road from Gerard Carpick mm -hmm. and uh, GK and I, you know, we talk a lot and he actually drove me out to the Sioux one year. Oh, really? Yeah. And if, <laughs> if, if you know Gerard, he can talk your ear off. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's all like, you know, odd stuff. Cause he's just, his brain is working overtime all the time, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, you know, learn a lot from him. I don't, I don't bounce a lot of questions off of him anymore, but I, I, at one point I would call him and, you know, cause he built a, like, I mean, the M10 was unreal, mm -hmm. you know, and there's differences between a falling rate suspension and a rising rate and, and all this stuff. Well, he's got a lot of those answers. Mm -hmm. Why did you build the M10 the way you did? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of like. The M10, you can't really cross country race because it's a falling rate. Mm -hmm. It gets it's softer as you go through the stroke. So when you get into the big stuff, it it bottoms out. But on those chattery bumps on the trails, unbelievable. And that's why they sold so many of them. Mm -hmm. You know. So, yeah, uh, suspension just I don't know, it tickles me. I like it. <laughs> Well, for anybody listening that's interested in your services, before we move on, shameless plug, where should they go? Yeah, you can contact me on, on Facebook, 131 Racing, or my website, 131racing.co, or Instagram. Um, get my phone number from somebody in the industry. A lot of people have it. So, yeah, I really, you know, would like to get the the I guess the side of it that I'm not really involved in right now is, is snowcross mm -hmm. and I wouldn't mind getting into that side of things. I think there's there's a lot there. I know what Ben and Bob probably do the best that they can uh, for what they provide. Mm -hmm. You know, being at the races and stuff like that. But there's always guys that can't get in for help or can't mm -hmm. get their stuff rebuilt or they have questions. So yeah. Are there uh, are there certain brands you work on versus not work on? I really, <laughs> to be honest, I don't have any notes on Articat stuff. Okay, like I have no no valving. Mm -hmm. The the Polaris and the Skidoo stuff keep me so busy that I can't even keep up. <laughs> so yeah, and 
I really like making the walkers work good, and, and the KYBs are a really good shock too. Mm-hmm. So I like, I you know, I really like working with that stuff. The the Fox stuff, I just haven't had as much time on, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of the the Articat. You know, you don't see any Fox on the Polaris's and or the Skidoo's, so mm-hmm. really just haven't spent a lot of time with them. A shock's a shock, but I just don't spend that much time on the Fox stuff. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, you heard it here first, people. If there's any, if there's any cat guys or any fox guys listening, uh, Bobby's your guy. He wants to learn. Yep. So. Send me your stuff. Let's get some stuff going and keep you off your head. Keep the <laughs> rubber side down. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, we're gonna move on into the infamous Woody's Would You Rather segment. Mixed mixed opinions because I get some feedback on this segment that people think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. I think it's I think it's entertaining. I think it's interesting to hear people's kind of feedback. So, um, you know the drill: two scenarios that both are not ideal, and you got to pick one and you got to justify it. Yep. So, would you rather race the Sioux, but you are the only rider? You can't switch out. You're the only rider, or you have to race the Iron Dog. With zero prep, and by that I mean like you're literally off the couch. You're not like peak Bobby Many pro cross country guy. It's like literally off the couch. Oh, um, gosh, the Sioux is like eight hours of just Red Bull mode. Mm-hmm. Like, can I say cocaine? Because <laughs> that's it's just yeah. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um. And then the Iron Dog, I can imagine just waking up day two and going, I got to get out of here. Like, my body is not working. Mm -hmm. But I think I would have to do Iron Dog. Iron Dog? Yep. Iron Dog, no training. Okay. The Sioux is way – there's too many kamikazes out there. (laughs) And you got guys like Herf and Bunky that think you might be more competitive than you are, and they're going to be in there just, you know, trying to race you. Mm -hmm. I don't want any of that. I'd rather look at the moose and the bears. <laughs> All right. Well, there's no bears in the wintertime, but. I don't know, man. I, I That's my scariest part about the Iron Dog to me. It's just like, yes, it's crazy on your body. Yes, it's crazy on the sled. But, like, you're in the boonies. Yep. You're, you're just in nature. That's oh, yeah. terrifying to me. But yep. that's why I haven't done it. Um, next one. Race the cross-country I-500, but you don't have a seat. So you're just standing the whole time. Or the same race, and you have a seat but you have to have stock suspension out of the crate. Any brand, but stock suspension out of the crate. Stock suspension. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> 1,000%. I need that seat. I, I was curious because, I mean, you're, you're, it's basically, do you want your legs as suspension or do you want? Nope. Yeah, okay. I'm still going to use the shocks. <laughs> They're just going to be really tired at the end of the day. Uh, it makes sense. Makes yep. sense. Next one. Uh, do an ice race cross country, but do an ice race with snow cross suspension or snow cross with ice suspension. Ice race with snow cross suspension. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about this one actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause you sent me these and mm-hmm. I'm like, what could I do that's different than what they're doing right now? Cause their stuff is so stiff right now mm-hmm. that I'm like, well, I could just like bulkhead, you know, like land. Yeah. Smash the bulkhead. Yeah. But I'm like, nope. <laughs> I will just make the snow cross stuff work on the ice. 
I guess it's the snow cross stuff. Like at least it's doable. It's it, like it's gonna suck. It's not gonna be fast, but it's doable. I feel like yeah. like ice stuff on a snow cross track, you're just gonna want to roll everything, and you're gonna have no control over this leg. You'd be surprised at how big of a jump you can hit on ice suspension. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. See, I'm not an XC guy, so yeah. I know I know Gunnar Arlo's listening. He's rolling his eyes, but I'm, yeah. I'm a snow cross guy. So there's a there's a couple times where you're just like I'm going really fast through these whoops you know because it drifted over or whatever mm-hmm. on two inches of travel mm-hmm. and the sled's like in the air and you're jumping and it's odd yeah xc guys man <laughs> you guys are a different breed uh similar note snow cross with cross country clutching or cross country with snow cross clutching and it's got to be caveat there ha- has to be a race with some good straightaways all right well the it would have to be snow cross with cross country clutching. Okay, because I would rather move around like a cow, <laughs> and be able to at least significantly try, mm-hmm. rather than being at because the the window of clutching or your your RPM window on a snow cross sled is like very small, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. engagement sixty two, and you're revving it up to eighty eight. Yep. Oh yeah. So you got like two thousand RPM to play play with there. One of the few cross country races I did in uh, in Jackman, Maine. It's actually a plaque over there on the oh, wall because yeah. I got third in the sport class on a snow cross sled. Uh, but it was only like two or three laps, and I re- I was the only guy there on an RS like stock snow cross setup because there was no snow cross race that weekend. Ripped him on the start. I was freaking yeah. gone off the start. And then we get out onto the trail because it utilized the local trail. And maybe like twenty seconds in, I'm going like 45 miles an hour i got nothing left and these two guys on uh on renegades freaking blow right by me never saw them again never saw them again nope so i could i could understand yep the clutching and the gearing it's it's a big deal Mm mm-hmm for sure for sure i'm sure steve hool and jeremy hool could probably get snowcross clutching to work good in a cross-country race somehow i think he'd get it to work anywhere i'm sure i'm sure yep (laughs) so last one for you your re would you rather uh use only an adjustable wrench but would you rather rebuild a shock or a top end a shock a shock because that's all i use is an adjustable really wrench. yeah <laughs> i have i have a bigger adjustable wrench for some of the big walker and kyb stuff mm-hmm. um and then like some of the walker stuff i have a, a one inch wrench to take the, the eyelid off but yeah it's just a uh, all shocks are literally just a shock mm-hmm. like it's either a nine sixteenths or a five eighths nut i guess on the kyb it'd be a 19 millimeter mm-hmm. but yeah that's it <laughs> but i don't know if i could yeah i could i could do it how are you gonna get a spring off just with 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 good attitude and faith my bare hands <laughs> i got grizzly hands because you know one of these that i asked rick was like uh, rebuild a shock with your bare hands and you know him he's like oh well, i've done it all yeah so i could yeah i could imagine yeah you can you can definitely do it with an adjustable wrench um yeah because if they're lock if they're lock nuts you could just bang the lock nut off with the wrench but if the preload rings are like if you don't have a spanner i guess if it, if it goes big enough you might be able yeah, to do it but usually they they are they are okay yeah. all right if they're not you're not rebuilding it all right fair Yep. Then you have to do the top end. 
which I could. You have to remove spring clips from See, a, from a connecting rod on the Polaris. I don't know if you could because they they use they don't use a monoblock. It's two cylinders, mm. and so four of those bolts would be basically in between the cylinders. So I don't know if you could get an adjustable wrench in there. Mm. It's true. Somebody, yeah. somebody, message me on Instagram if you know how you would do it. I'm sure there's gonna be somebody like, oh yeah, I've done that. Everybody I've done it with an adjustable yeah. wrench. It'd probably be some <laughs> Iron Dog guy. Yeah, I did it on the side of the trail in yeah. the dark. Oh, yeah. trust me, <laughs> Troy and I were in a village of all villages in Nikolai, Alaska, putting A arms on my sled on a dirt floor with no power tools. So, yeah, I don't know. I did. Those are the guys, like, to me that uh, when all they do is complain about setup or, you know, I don't have the right team behind me. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no frozen fingers for them. <laughs> so let's uh, get into a last couple questions for you before we wrap it up. But of all the cool sleds you've ridden over the years, what's the coolest race sled you think you've ridden? My uh, pole position sled at the slough. Mm-hmm. That uh, Larry Teedy built that sled for me. Mm-hmm. and um i don't know so this was yeah this is another cool story i'll try to make it quick but i was in alaska and i came down to race the sioux and they're like well we're gonna set up a qualifying sled because you can you can run a different setup than you'd have to for the race so you can build mm-hmm. a full qualifying sled okay whatever so i'll try it and uh i get there and it's a it's like a wall skid with this like one inch diameter sway bar, different spindles, different mm-hmm. bars. I Super mean, trick. I'm like, yeah, yeah like titanium <laughs> studs. I'm like, what is this thing? They're like, oh, it's our qualifying setup. Oh, okay. And so I go out, not even four hours after I got off the airplane, and we go out first run, second. Mm-hmm. And Donnie, he's like, smoking cigarettes like what do we gotta do he's like i think we can do this and it's troy dewalt on the pole yeah which he's been on the pole you know you know 100 times Mm. i don't know you think he's in like number 17 at this point Mm -hmm. i don't know troy if you're listening (laughs) just let me get one more but uh so i'm like i think i think i can do it i'm Mm -hmm. like it was really close though Mm -hmm. and the ice was getting worse because mm-hmm. it was warming up and getting choppier so i pulled i shit you not it's like monkey see monkey do out there <laughs> i pull the visor off my helmet i take my jacket off and put a tight jersey on you get that like well <laughs> and then i i duct tape the windshield down a little bit mm-hmm. and then i'm like i think we ran a sharpened eight and a sharpened so i ran a sharpened eight on the outside and a sharpened six on the inside. I think that was my change. I had two eights on mm-hmm. and it was just a little too aggressive. Went out, set the pole. <laughs> and uh, so, which is cool because it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that I can brag about for sure. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we set the pole and. Um, not 10 minutes later there's dudes out there with no visors on and jerseys and duct tape there (laughs) i'm like you gotta be kidding me you know but uh so yeah that that was my favorite sled uh shout out to larry and and donnie and and rick td and those guys for building that sled because i you could hold it wide open around the whole sioux track Mm -hmm. without letting off 
all you were doing is chopping the throttle coming into the corner, coming into like turn four, chopping it and breaking the back end loose and just right back into it. Mm-hmm. Wide open. All the way around. So, yeah, I've, I've, uh, definitely a, a noob when it comes to the Sioux. I've gotten, ever since I've done some of these interviews and people have talked, like I've gone back and watched a bunch of videos and stuff like that. And I'm really excited to watch it this year, like for the first yeah. time. But, um, I just, to me, the coolest part is it's one of the few areas in snowmobile racing where there's still like, it's not an open playbook, but there's still ingenuity. There's still there games is. to be made for people, yep. you know? Kind of, you know, it is open. I mm-hmm. mean, you can drill as many holes as you want for vents. You can put a brake duct, run mm-hmm. a different windshield. I mean, suspension. You can mm-hmm. put uh, R motion in players if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of the true, besides, I would say, the Remshot open class. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that it's probably the last remaining true open stuff mm-hmm. um, that anybody can really do because like nobody's gonna go out and buy a champ sled. Mm-hmm. Those things are ungodly expensive. But yeah, I would I would say the Sioux is is definitely one of the last like mod sled, mm-hmm. do what you want, make it work kind of a deal. For sure. Toughest competitor of all time, and this could be cross country. This could be Iron Dog. Somebody that you've actively raced against. Oh. oh my god, I've raced so many guys. Um can there be a couple? So Selby. Mm-hmm. He's such an a-hole sometimes. <laughs> um it it's it's fun though, cause like he doesn't make it easy at all. Mm-hmm. Like, not at all. Um, I like racing against uh, Wes because um, he's really passionate, almost mm-hmm. too passionate. And so that, that makes it fun. Um, we give people – or, you know, we give each other a lot of shit. But uh, uh, obviously, Zach, he's tough because nothing really phases him. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't crack him. Mm-hmm. You can make fun of him. You can give him shit, tell him you're going to T-bone him. And he's just like, bring it on, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, yeah, but looking back, you know, uh, Simons and DJ Ackery were really hard to beat. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That would, that would be some of them. Yeah. It's really hard to pick one. There's some Alaska guys too that are just so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Casey Boylan bothers me cause he's a big dude and I should be faster than him and I'm not sometimes. <laughs> Um, so yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, biggest accomplishment on a sled for you. I don't know why, but I really enjoyed setting that pole mm-hmm. at, the, at the Sioux. Mm-hmm. Cause I, there's so many f- few people that have done it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a, some people don't care about it at all. They're like, mm-hmm. I could care less, but I didn't care about it. And I did it. So I think that makes me enjoy it even more because mm-hmm. I had no idea what I, I was showing up to a, a qualifying sled like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, you have to be talented enough to, to go out there and hold the thing wide open to do it. So that, and then last year's Sue, even with all the controversy and everything, that one's going to stick for a while. Cause um, before we wrap up here, you know, I'd, there's a lot of 
things that people don't realize about that race last year is that Ross had three broken ribs mm. from Eagle River, and I had my appendix ripped out the week before the race, and my daughter was in the ICU with RSV, and I left uh, her and her, mo- her mom in, in the hospital to come to the Sioux. So I basically left my family in the ICU to, to go to the Sioux, and we still ended up, you know, doing what we did. So, like... Yeah, I last year's Sioux was was definitely probably one of my biggest accomplishments. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, I think uh, you know, that poll was really impressive in a lot of ways, but yeah, just circumstance. Like that's that's what makes so many accomplishments in racing cool. It's like, yeah, the event itself is really cool, but it's always about yep. the circumstance that puts you there. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. People don't realize what the behind the scenes stuff. Next you're going to tell me that you're just like a regular guy and you have to like go to work and then also race and stuff like that oh that's me right now <laughs> that is me right now figuring out, i'm trying to find a sponsor to pay for my entry fee at, at pine lake if anybody wants to fork over there you go shameless plug yeah uh biggest advice for anybody wanting to get into snowmobile racing of any discipline um gosh this might be shameless but i think cross country is the best avenue i I love snowcross. I do, but barrier of entry is really, really high in snowcross. I, I just don't see, I don't see that as the place to start right now. I think buying a trail sled that you can go drink beer moderately with your buddies and have cheeseburger, and then next weekend go decide I'm going to go run the sport class or whatever semi pro. Mm-hmm. Like there's some backwards dudes out there that you're like this dude is faster than anybody yeah. mm-hmm. uh and so i think uh my biggest advice would be just buy a trail sled that has some studs in it and go mm-hmm. race it because mm-hmm. it, it's so easy to go race a cross-country race i mean there's literally nothing easier you can race a trail sled mm-hmm. so that that would be my advice I if you w- got a trail sled sign up mm-hmm just bet your buddies i i bet you can't get a top five in at this race and make it fun i would uh obviously there's a lot of snowcross guys on this pod I'm, I'm a snowcross guy but in you know you want to talk too about value of your time too. yes showing up it's going to be cheaper in entry fees you're going to be on the track for significantly longer more than 15 minutes mm-hmm. at a crack mm-hmm. or five minutes at a crack mm-hmm. and i i'm not dogging you know, I I think uh, Carl has a, a really good, great program going on there, but uh, with the industry the way it is right now, and there's some there's some smaller circuits too, like MESC mm-hmm. and like the Levi Tri Five, oh, and yeah. uh, you know the the stuff at Elk River, mm-hmm. great. But that's not core racing right now. Like that's just like these one off events that are yep. super fun. You're riding an older sled, that's great. But if you were gonna race uh, or have fun or get into it, mm-hmm. I, I think cross country would be the way to go. That's the way to go. So last one, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are your plans for, for this season? Yep. So um, Jay Middlestead at Jay's Power Sports, or Jay's Power Center in uh, in Wisconsin, he hooked me up with a brand new player's cross country mm-hmm. and uh, kind of just mainly stay in shape for the Sioux. So I, I haven't committed to any sort of racing yet, but 
I'd like to try and make it to Pine Lake. Um, I'd like to try and make it to a couple of the core power sports races and, uh, and see how we do there, but primarily stay in shape for the Sioux. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really want to do well for that and, and kind of just enjoy being back in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was in Alaska for seven years, so, uh, hopefully if it snows here, I can get out and ride the Northwoods where I grew up. Yeah, it's pretty bad right now, man. It's pretty it's pretty bleak out there. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> 50 on Christmas or 49? I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, it, by the time this goes out, I, hopefully there's there's snow, but yeah, it's even um you know, obviously all the East Coast stuff that I follow. Yeah. There's some of those guys have built a snow cross track, some people have trails, but it's bad out there and here yeah. there's nothing. Well, even I don't know if you've seen the group of talented individuals that were all riding together up in bc but it was like there's no snow down in the lower 48 anywhere so it was like keith curtis and jay manaberry and <laughs> turcott and all yep. these guys like yep. yeah the thomas brothers <laughs> and whoever else was there i don't know you know blaine matthews they were all like in one spot riding together it's like mm-hmm. that's bad yeah that you guys all got to congregate to <laughs> one spot in the in north america to ride right now mm-hmm. it's sad yeah, it's rough, man. It's rough. I uh, I love snowmobiles, but it's years like this that we always lose any potential new people into snowmobiling. It's yep. always stuff like this. So. It unfortunately will hurt the market next year. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, we, uh, I said earlier, tried to get my wife her first sled last year. We ended up getting one, but you're still fighting high COVID prices for sure. Yep. But we had a shit ton of snow last year. Tons. So the market was not. It was not a buyer's market at all because everybody's out riding. Right yep. now, if you want to buy a used sled, guarantee you they're everywhere. Yes. They're everywhere. And yep. it's not going to help going into next year at no. all. No, unfortunately not. No. So. But, well, anyway, we can wrap it up for you, Bobby. Um, again, really appreciate the time and you coming in. Always some always some good stories. So, uh, yeah, super fun and I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, hopefully we can do it again after this season. Maybe talk about some more wins. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Bobby Manny on the Carbide Podcast. Some great stories this week from Bobby. Not only is he talented on a snowmobile, but he's also a great storyteller, which is the ideal candidate for a show like this. Thanks again to Bobby for taking the time and for being our first in-studio guest. I have Woody's to thank for the ability to start doing these. and We have a lot more coming, I can promise you that. Be sure to follow us on socials for all kinds of cool throwback and interesting sled content. Don't forget about the merch site to grab yourself some carbide swag. And as always, take care. Take care.